can be seated now, yeah. Hey, um, last Sunday, an amazing thing went on. There were orange balloons all over at this building that represented over about 100 of us that were at the LA Marathon running for Team World Vision, raising wa- cl- money for clean water. So our goal was to raise $100,000. The year before, we had a goal to raise 60, we raised 80, and this year we raised almost $129,000 together. So what a beautiful picture of what God is doing at our church. And he's doing many things. He's pushing us outside the four walls of this building and off this campus to make a difference in the world, but he's also growing the roots of our faith deep. And uh, this is our last week of uh, a small group study we've been doing called Rooted. And, uh, you know, as a wrap-up, I wanted you to be reintroduced to Heather Fretz, our director of uh, Rooted, and she's going to tell you all about it. And then she has a person or two from a group that's going to come up and tell you about a little bit about their experience. So will you welcome our Rootees? Come on up, Heather. Bob. You pointing at someone, Heather? Okay, come on up. I'm going to get out of the way. Like you said, I'm Heather Fretz, the Rooted Coordinator, and it has been a really awesome experience for me to work alongside the facilitators that we have in Rooted, hi guys, um, this past session. And I've just been hearing so many amazing stories about the connections that all of you have been making. We have, um, we've had a 287 people in a rooted group and 18 um, different rooted groups happening throughout this past 10 weeks. And um, there's been a lot of ways that God has been at work in individual lives here at Sunridge. And so I just wanted you all to hear those stories as well. So um, I brought Bob Miller, who is a facilitator of his own group with his wife, Amanda. And he's going to tell you a little bit about what has rooted meant for you this past session. I can't believe it's already been 10 weeks already. It's just gone by so fast. I actually don't even want it to end because you get to meet you know, new people and make connections with people going through a walk with God just as you would also. So, but as a facilitator this time, it was a little bit different than just you know, being a participant. So the first thing I want to do is I want to thank Heather so much because without her diligence and her work preparation for us, this couldn't have been done. So I want to give you a five for that. And, you know, the experience that I've had going through my own personal experience with God going through this thing really brought me deeper, which is such a great message for this, of going deeper with God. But also being a facilitator and being able to have someone like Mary Kay to step out of her comfort zone and want to be baptized was just an amazing experience for us. So just to grow with everybody together is something I'll never forget. So I really encourage everybody, if you're thinking about it, or at least pray about it, to join the next one when we start it up. Thanks, Bob. And we also have some friends, Cheryl and John Person, who um, were a part of Sue and Rex Fisk's Rooted Group, and so they were going to share with us about their experience, too. Hi, I'm Cheryl. And I'm John. We're new to Sun Ridge. We were only here three weeks before um, the series started, and we heard our pastor on stage talk about this new series and how excited he was. Well, my husband nudged me and told me, well, we should join. And I said, well, do we really want to get involved right away and, you know, get, get, you know, go on a Bible study? So with the encouragement of our daughter and son-in-love, we did join Rooted. 
And I got to say how blessed we've been with God's word and with a new group and now friends, new friends. These friends are around our age, and we seem to have many common interests. Cheryl and I have been truly blessed to have met and shared our stories with these new friends during this 10-week rooted series. We feel that we now have a stronger relationship with God and a better understanding for his purpose in our lives. We would also like to thank our facilitators for their leadership, hospitality, and love throughout this life-changing program. We also want to acknowledge how we feel loved and welcomed at our new church, Sunridge Community. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. We are going to be having another session of Rooted in the fall, so think about it. Just saying. Thank you. Thank you, guys. So um, I'm glad that, like, every once in a while someone listens to me and takes a chance. And that's like, you guys are new. That's, that's how you didn't know. Like, just ignore Brit. But... Um, our goal, actually, is for anyone who goes to Sunridge to eventually experience Rooted. So if you're thinking about it, be praying about it. If you haven't thought about it and you're just like, no way, consider it. Just consider it about taking that step. It doesn't matter if you're just getting started out or you've, you've been a Christian for a really long time. It will challenge you from wherever you're coming from. And uh, I think it will be life-changing for you. So, And I wouldn't say that about everything that we do here. So, um, and I have to just say that Heather has done an amazing job of, of leading this. And I just want to tell you guys, when I, I meet with other pastors for lunch or whatever in the community, and we always share like what's going on in our churches. And they say, you know, what's, what's going great? And you know, there's a lot of wonderful things happening at this church, but one of the amazing things that we, we benefit from is we have an amazing staff. I'm telling you, we have a wonderful staff. We're very united, and I love each one of them, and each one is so talented. And uh, Heather has done just an amazing job, in particular, of leading Rooted. So I'm so grateful to have a team like that around me. So thanks a lot to our staff. Uh, you may not know it, but on Good Friday, we do a service. It's uh, really special, and um, it's designed to think about... Um, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, and it's, it's probably under an hour. That's this Friday night, and then next Easter, I'm next Easter, hello, uh, next Sunday is Easter, and um, I just want to give you one piece of advice. Uh, you should be on time. If you just look around, you know, all the creasters are going to come out. That's people come on Christmas and Easter, and uh, that's pastor joke stuff, and uh, you know, so it's going to be crowded here, and we have an overflow room, um, you know, but, you know, you're going to want to be in the big room if you can. So, like, invite somebody, be here. I'm, I'm starting a brand new series on Easter Sunday called Jesus on Jesus. And, um, you know, people, what have people said about Jesus? That he's a revolutionary, he was a great teacher, um, uh, you know, a popular rabbi. But what did Jesus say about himself? That's the point, Jesus on Jesus. And we're going to start on Easter Sunday with uh, one of the I am statements. That's what we're going to be looking at through that series. What did Jesus say about himself? And he said, I am the resurrection. And I'm really excited about that series, really excited about Easter. Um, it's a core truth 
to the Christian faith. So invite somebody, be here, be here on time. We're in the last week of Rooted, as Heather already mentioned, and I'm kind of sad to see it go. I'm excited about the new things that are coming up, but it has really been uh, formative, I think, for our church to be considering these things that root our faith. We've talked about, like, what they are, and, and, over, and this, you know, in week 10, we're going we're gonna to wrap it up today. We are also talking about, like, how, how we sink the roots of our faith deep. And by way of introduction, I just want to point out something that might be obvious to you. It's like, there are things that are important to us in life that become much more important when we have a personal connection to them. For instance, you know, when you're, you know, you're driving home from work and you're driving through all these communities, if you're a commuter and you come into this valley, usually you recognize, especially if you've been on vacation, this, this is home. This is, this is my community. There's a personal connection to that. Uh, you know, who, do we need to talk about rental car versus personal car? You know, when you have a rental car, you don't give it the love you do when you have a personal connection to your vehicle, right? You get where I'm going with this. Uh, you go to an event, but that event takes on much more importance when one of your kids or your grandkids is involved, like soccer. Like, who would go to six-year-old soccer games if it wasn't for family? We just wouldn't go, right? The, the enjoyment is that somebody's there that's important to us, so we have that personal connection. I don't need to mention toothbrushes, right? <laughs> there's toothbrushes, and then there's your personal toothbrush, which takes on much more importance as to what happens to it. So... Your church is the same way. You know, we can talk a lot, a lot about the church or churches, but church takes on a whole other meaning when it's personal, when you have a connection to that church. We talk about joining the life here at Sunridge. You know, we talk about the difference between, you know, we, we notice when people are new to Sunridge, they talk about, well, yeah, your church or at Sunridge, da-da-da, and eventually you see that language change to my church. You know what I'm talking about. There's a difference. There are things that are, that are, some aren't important, some things are important, but that all of them take on more importance when we have a personal connection to them. Today, what I want to do is I want to talk about the difference it makes in your faith when you go from thinking about the church to your church. It's a big difference. The church, we're going to talk a little bit about that today, where the church came from. It's going to be a little church history. You're going to have to buckle up. We're going to go through a lot of passages of scripture. But then at the end, I want to turn and talk about your church, how the church can become your church and how important that is to your faith. When we talk about the church, some of you might be totally new to church. It doesn't matter if you were if you grew up in a Protestant church or a Catholic church, or maybe you didn't go to church at all when you were growing up, I'll bet you your idea of what the early church looked like is nothing what the early church was really like. If you, let me just take you back a couple thousand years. There are no Bibles. There's no bands. There's no banners. There's no uh, anything else with a B. There's, there's no... There's no buildings, there's no hierarchy, there's no church staff, there's no vision statement or mission statement. It's just the church. So to take you all the way back to understanding what the church was then, the church, without all of its accoutrements today, the church is people. Fundamentally, the church is people. 
You take this even from the word that is used. Every time in your New Testament, when you see the word church, it's the word ecclesia. It's literally translated the assembly. An assembly of people are sometimes called ones. So it is always people. Anytime you think about the church, it's always people. And, there, you know, there's a big argument over that in the 1500s. A guy named William Tyndale, you might know that name. He was a Bible translator and scholar, and he paired up at the, at the same time when they were starting to print Bibles. And the church got really mad at Bill because he insisted on translating this word ecclesia as congregation, and they wanted it to say the Lord's house. And, you know, they disliked his translation so much, which was actually the most accurate translation. They wanted it to be about a facility and a place, and they were so bugged by him that they ended up hanging him and burning his body. That's the story of Bill Tyndall. Okay. So here's a guy that even stood on this fact and gave his life for it, this understanding the church is people. They are congregated ones, assembled ones. And why is, are these people getting together? Well, before anybody knew what Jesus was talking about in this way, before his disciples understood the concept of church, he, through the inspiration of God, reveals what we're talking about, who these people are, and why they are congregating. It's found in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 13. He's talking to his disciples. And he says, who do the people say the Son of Man is? That is, who do they say I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Jesus says that the foundation of this church is this statement that you just made, Peter, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. See, the church isn't just people. The church is people who share the foundational belief that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus says, before these disciples even fully comprehended it, that's what the church is built on. That is the rock. That I am who I said I was. The church is built on that belief. Now, I want to let you know that the church is not built on the Bible. Although we, the Bible's pretty important to us. The church is not built on any particular perspective on something in the Bible. The church, according to Jesus, is built on this one foundation. That Jesus Christ is the Son of God. In fact, most people get it wrong today. And thinking that, well, we believe in the resurrection because the Bible says it's true. That's not, that's not accurate and that's not true. People believed in the Bible because they believed in the resurrection. That's how it was in the early church. The Bible was getting nowhere without the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I might have scared some of you. I just want you to know I believe in the Bible fully. The Bible is very important. We're teaching it today in case you like your mind is going places it shouldn't go right now. Okay? But we are built on, our connection is that Jesus Christ is who he said he was. Now that statement shouldn't be used to exclude people or somehow wall ourselves off. From people, it's a good reminder, though, for what our connection is based on. You are gathered here to get, 
together today, unless you heard that there was like, we were giving away money or something today. Uh, we gather together because we believe or we're at least exploring that Jesus Christ is who he said he was. That's why we say around here all the time, keep the main thing the main thing. Let's not get off track. So this church that begins without even fully comprehending these 12 disciples are, they believe in Jesus, they're being taught by him, they're following him, and then he's crucified, and he resurrects, and then he looks at them and says, you guys got to keep that message going. And that brings us to the church's history found in Acts. If you've never read the book of Acts in your New Testament, it follows the, three, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And then Acts is a wonderful book to read that you'll start to see the church as you know it. You'll start to see that emerge. It is the history of the early Acts of the Apostles, so the history of the church. So the church is people. The church is people who share a foundational belief that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then what we see in Acts is church is people. The church is a movement of people who live out and proclaim the gospel. That is who Jesus was. The church is a movement of people. And you're going to see this movement as we go through this birth and, and early years of the church. Starting in Acts 1, Jesus tells his followers to wait don't get ahead of yourselves. Allow the Holy Spirit to come and give you the power to do what you're going to be called to do. In Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus says, wait. My Spirit will come, and it will fill you. He will fill you, and you will be empowered to do my work. And my gospel will spread through you as you live it out and proclaim it. And that's exactly what happened. Peter preaches the first gospel message in Acts chapter 2. The gospel is unleashed on the world. And here's a few excerpts from his message. Acts 2.24, God raised him from the dead, that is Jesus, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. We see Peter preaching the centrality of the gospel of Jesus Christ in verse 32. God raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of that fact. Peter says, this is just a couple of months after the resurrection. Peter says, you guys, the, the Jesus I was just preaching about, you know this happened. You were there, many of you. And so Peter, in this first gospel message, he's not pointing to a creed or a doctrine or a belief, but he's pointing to an event. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are a, the church is a movement of people living out and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. What happens? Verse 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now just put yourself there. No buildings, no hierarchy, no plan, no, no church seminars, no study plan, no rooted... Can't even believe they can make it. What do you do? What's the next thing? Well, here's what they do in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, that is, community with one another, the breaking of bread, that was literally a communion, like a, a meal that they ate together that had religious significance, like communion, and to prayer. 
Are you starting to see the church as you know it emerging, dedicated to these things? And what happened in verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. What we see in the early church without any organization, without any buildings or a budget or anything else, we see them pulling together and making a personal commitment to one another. They're forming into groups and to pods, and they're meeting wherever they can. Obviously, they're not going to get a temple lease long term. And so they're just finding anywhere they can meet together. And so they have to meet daily in the places that they can meet. You know, archaeologists have uncovered houses from that early church period that, w- that were obviously renovated to hold larger groups. They believe that this is how the church was managing their increasing numbers. And it's not until the time of Constantine, a few hundred years later, that the church really gets formalized and is in any way like the, uh, owning property or building buildings. So for three or 400 years, they're operating in this kind of like very liquid, very flux kind of uh, situation. And so what happens? What are the results of this living and proclaiming their faith? In verse 47, they praised God and enjoyed the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You start to see a movement emerging here. The gospel is preached. People are living it, proclaiming it. They're working together with one another. And something's happening. People are coming into the faith daily. And you know, after a while, that starts to bug some people. It starts off, they have the favor of all the people, but the religious leaders who were probably losing temple members or converts to their religion or changing of their ways, the traditions that they held, they start to get upset. And in Acts 4, verse 1, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. So they're out there proclaiming Christ. And they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they seized Peter and John because it was evening. They put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. So, do you see the movement? There's like this snowball coming forward, and even though it's like bothering some people, it's, it can't be stopped. The number here says that they only counted the men, and now it's at 5,000 in Jerusalem, this little community without internet, without television, without newspapers. Chapter 4, verse 18, they call him in again and command them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. We saw it. We've experienced it. Jesus Christ has changed us. And if I I can't stop. That's what they're saying. I can't stop talking about it. 
And in verse 21, after further threats, they let them go. I love that line. It's like, okay, I know, I know you're not listening, but I'm telling you, some bad stuff's going to happen to you. And they could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. We don't know what to do. We can't stop these guys. In verse 28, we gave, they call them, uh, of chapter 5, they call them together again. We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. A movement of people living and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in chapter 6, it says the number of disciples continue to increase. And then by chapter 8, they've had enough. And so in chapter 8, verse 1, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And that's going to work, right? If we can just, like, make them feel some pain about this, that will stop it. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria, Samaria, and Saul began to destroy the church. They hired this religious zealot named Saul to get involved in this. And he goes from house to house, and he drags off men and women and puts them in prison. And so that ends Christianity. Not. Verse 4, those that had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Ah! Can't be stopped. And do you know that this same Saul who is persecuting the church converts to Christianity? And he becomes, he goes from being Christianity's greatest enemy to its greatest advocate and takes multiple teams around the world multiple times spreading the gospel in these communities and establishing churches. And so uh, in, verse, in chapter 9, verse 31, the church then throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. Finally, Paul's off their back, and it was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, and it grew in numbers. And what happens in the rest of Acts, you should read it, is the church keeps growing, expanding, it gets organized. There's leadership established. Paul starts to write his letters. It's a movement. It's a movement of people who believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And they live that out and they proclaim it and it can't be stopped. That's church history. That's the church. Now, you might, like me, be having a hard time making the connection between what we just looked at and what's happening today in many cases. What happened to the church? Do you know that in America, uh, statistically, people claim that, the statistics come forward to say that people say that by, there are church attendants, 40% of them are in church on a Sunday. But that's not true. Researchers have figured out that we all give ourselves a halo effect about how often we go to church, and it's really only 20%. What's happening in America is less and less people are engaging in their faith. So maybe you're having a hard time making that connection, right? What happened to the movement? If you're having that trouble, you're in good company because I think a lot of people are looking around and asking, what is the relevance of the church today? And you know, I think that it really comes down to us. It's the same God. 
I think God still wants people to come to faith in his son, Jesus Christ. And I think the Holy Spirit is still alive. What's the difference? I think that it's found in how we think of the church. You see, what's happening today is people think about the church, but they don't think about my church. We've lost our personal connection to what God is doing through the community of faith. Now, if you're just checking out church and you're on the edge of faith, this is in no way like meant to like preach at you. This is for people who call Sunridge Community Church your home church. But we have to start thinking about church with a personal connection to it. I think that that's the difference. And so in just the remaining moments that I have, I'm going to click through four things that I think make a good case for why you should change your thinking from the church to your church. You with me? You guys still with me? Okay. So your church, first of all, is where you'll encounter Jesus Christ. Your church is how you will encounter Jesus. See, most people are craving God in some way. Solomon wrote that God has placed eternity in our hearts. And so by that, it's like people have something deep inside them that says that there's, there's more. And you know, I think people try to find that in many different ways, but it's really found in the community of faith. Not in isolation. There are no Lone Ranger Christians. This is very important for all of us to grasp. You know, the Lone Ranger wasn't even alone. He had Tonto. That's, so anyone under 50 has no idea what I'm talking about. Watch TV land, you'll get it. God has designed for us to encounter Christ together. I saw some beautiful moments of that today in, in, a, in a time of worship. Um, some of the experiences that we have here together. Like God has meant for us to connect with him not in isolation, but through a community of faith of assembled ones. How could, how, how could God have a church, an assembly, that doesn't assemble? Doesn't make any sense. Jesus said in Matthew 18, 20, for where two or three to, uh, come together in my name, there am I with them. You know, there's something in that. There's something about worshiping together, sitting under teaching together, about bonding, banding together and like serving one another in various ways here on the campus that allows us to encounter Christ in a way that we can't alone. I want to be honest and say sometimes being part of the church, your church can be, it takes flexibility, it takes patience, it can be frustrating at times, but you know what? That's part of the drill. That's part of how we encounter Christ. Secondly, your church will help you grow. Your church will help you grow. Um, you know, the gospel of Jesus Christ is that if you believe on Jesus, you will be saved. It's as plain and as simple as that. But God doesn't want you to stay that way. God loves us too much to just leave us as a baby Christian. He wants us to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, as Peter wrote. And the way we do that is in the context of a community of faith. You know, we teach the Bible here. 
Um, we teach it in a way that we try to be as relevant as we can, to be as accurate as we can, to be as honest as we can, to be as clear and authentic as we can, to try and reach the diverse community that's here. You know, right now, this topic, I guarantee you, there's someone in this room that has a PhD in what I'm talking about. And then there's somebody sitting in this room that has no idea about the Bible or anything else. But there's something about us coming together and sitting under that teaching in that context that is far different than listening to a podcast or a live stream or a tape or a, I don't know, do we listen to tapes anymore? CDs, whatever. Never mind. And by the way, you know, I don't know how many of you will, were school skippers in your day. Don't show your hands. I've heard, though, about some school skippers that people did that in junior high and high school. I, I don't know. I heard about that. And if you skip school a lot, you know what? You fall behind. You will not grow. You'll flunk algebra. And you know, the church is the same way. Sometimes showing up is good enough. It's good enough for you to grow in that context. How do we grow? Is it just, just the teaching? Of course not. Paul writes in Ephesians 4, 16, the church grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. It isn't just on the teachers or the worship leaders or the Sunday school teachers. Do you see that? Do you see, like, we grow... We build one another up as each part does its work. There's, there's something in that, that we help one another grow. I'll bet you, well, let me ask you a question. Top five people that have contributed to your spiritual growth. Names coming to mind? How many are pastors? I know, it's like, how could I even have a job? Because I'm not on your list. You know, I made my list. I've got it written here. I'm not going to say the names, but only one in five is a pastor. It's been people that have been in my life. That we, when it's your church, you grow and you help other people grow as well. Your church is your spiritual family. That's number three. Your church is your spiritual family. It's not just about showing up. It's about engaging. You see, when you're part of a family, you don't just show up to the family. It's like, hey, I'm here. It's much more than that, right? And that's the picture that the Bible gives us of the church. Ephesians 2.19, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. You're part of his family. We're family. And so we have a sense of belonging with one another. You know, if, if church was just something that you could do, if, if growing in your faith is something you could do from home, watching a podcast, watching a, stream, a live stream or whatever, then God would have just designed it that way. But it's not. As the family of God, we are connected to one another through, by our faith in Jesus Christ, and we work together like a family. It's why Paul said we're to be devoted to one another, just like you're supposed to be in your family. I love this uh, quote from John Stott that comes right out of our rooted uh, curriculum. We are not only Christian people, we are also church people. 
The church lies at the very center of the eternal purpose of God. It is not a divine afterthought. It is not an accident of history. On the contrary, the church is God's new community. Your church connection, your church family, it's different than your little league family or your local bar or your canasta club or the PTA or your CrossFit uh, cult that you're a part of. <laughs> I love CrossFit. But I know I doesn't show it, but it's because I don't do it, but I do love it. It's like my church. I don't go. I just join. I don't know. Anyway, that was all free. By the way, you want to give your kids a great gift? Raise them up in a way that they, are, that they feel a sense of belonging and part of a church family. Which means you have to be a part of the family in order to do that. You'll be really grateful. If you have younger kids right now, you'll be really grateful one day that there's like this underpinning, there's this foundation that your kids got of people besides you that loved them and told them about God and took interest in them. That they have this background, this faith family that will contribute to their life far beyond the time that they're living in your household. We are a family. Lastly, your church is the way you will make a difference. Your church is, your, is the way you will make a difference. You know, uh, Team World Vision that we ran with, they have a saying, it comes out of Africa. Uh, it says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And one, one of the beautiful things that I see emerging here at Sunridge is God deepening our faith with, with one another alongside each other, right, in small groups. And what we do together outside the four walls here, like a hundred of us running for world vision and raising almost $129,000 for clean water. It's not something that we could do alone. We did that together. And, it, and you know, um, well my services are kind of mixing together, but um, we had all these orange balloons here, but what we didn't have, which we're going to have next year if we run, is another color balloon that represents every one of you who donated to our team and every one of you who prayed for our team and everyone who encouraged the team. You're a spectathlete, uh, is what they called us. It's like it was... We did it together. Hebrews 10, 24, the writer says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. When it's your church, you have people around you who are not just sitting in a seat next to you, but they are spurring you on to make a difference. They affirm you. They, they nudge you. They boot you sometimes and say, get off your tuchus and... Do something. We spur one another on. We make a difference together. You know, a church that existed entirely for itself in the first century would have died in the first century. It would have been over. The thing that made the church a movement that brought it to this day and time is people believed in Jesus Christ, and then they lived that out. 
and when given the opportunity, they proclaimed it. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of church I want to be a part of. See, your church is your faith family. It is the way in which you will encounter Jesus Christ. It's the way you will make a difference. It's the way you will grow. I love the words of this, this final song that we're going to sing together. It says, God, build a fire in me. Build a fire in me so that I can change the world. That's what I want to do. But it will take people who say, yeah, I know about the church. Not, not I know about the church, but they say, I have a church. That's my church. And I'm in all the way. Let's pray. God.